Neha, what's the tea? You mean the novelty? Welcome to The Novelty, a podcast dedicated to books. Not just the Western male-centric works from your high school lit class. We'll also read books by women, people of color, and from around the world. We'll dive into literary technique and character analysis. But don't worry, we aren't afraid to spill the tea and give our unfiltered opinions. Together, we'll redefine the classics. Will today's pick stand the test of time? Keep listening to find out. Well, should we start with like a little summary? Mm-hmm. So, um, The Last White Man is by Mohsin Hamid, and it's a book about, there's kind of two named characters, and there's some other people they interact with, but the main character, Anders, wakes up one day and discovers he's no longer white, um, and at first he thinks it's just him, and he kind of hides out, but as the book goes on, we see that other people in their town and across the country are having this transformation as well. And the book deals with everyone's reactions to it and kind of how the two main characters deal with their more personal relationships as well. Mm-hmm. And the, the second character is, her name is Una. Um, there's only really two characters in this book. There's just yeah. Anders and Una and then Anders' father and Una's mother. Yeah. So what theme did you pick for this book? Oh, my gosh. If you could look at my notes right now, I have, like, five themes that I just couldn't decide (laughs) on what I wanted to focus on. But the one that I decided on finally was grief. Hmm. What about you? I picked fear. Okay. That's kind of... I'm kind of similar. I I was debating between doing one of the obvious ones, which was identity or mm-hmm. race. But then I thought grief was like one of the first things that I saw in the mm-hmm. beginning of the book when Anders first wakes first wakes up and realizes he's no longer the person that he used to be. The first emotion I got out of him was grief. Why did you pick fear? Same as what you said. I when I was reading it, it was one of the first things that stood out to me in the in the first chapter when Anders wakes up and he sees himself in the mirror and he is kind of going about his morning routine I saw fear pop out a lot especially because mm-hmm. it was something that happened so suddenly out of nowhere and it to me seemed like his first reaction was fear yeah with grief I'm glad I stuck to that theme I think because you see it throughout the book as well when um when they introduced Una's character, they also kind of described that she just her twin brother had just passed. He was a, a an addict, and I could that's like one of the first things that they say about Una, which makes me think that like okay, she's a grieving woman. And then as we see later on in the book, Anders' father event he becomes very sick, and he eventually passes, and Obviously, he's grieving for his father, and Una's mother doesn't necessarily like Anders, mm-hmm. and she kind of bonded with him because of his grieving, because mm-hmm. 
his Anders was grieving over his father and then Una was kind of Una's mother saw that and just kind of connected with him in that way yeah and you know a lot of the book felt very shrouded in fear but I agree there's this very strong theme of like grief and loss that goes throughout as well it was interesting that only two characters had names and there actually aren't that many I mean it's a short book um, I think it's just under 200 pages and there aren't that many characters to begin with and of the maybe five or six characters that are mentioned only Una and Anders have names what did you think of that yeah I I don't know I'm just gonna say what I've been trying not to say I did not like this book I <laughs> I really didn't I don't know what it was about it but I thought the concept was intriguing. I think the whole a white man wakes up one day and he's no longer white. And then you're just like, okay, and then what happens next? And I think that concept is what like kind of grasped my attention. But nothing really happens in the book. And nothing really like it. it I think the book is like at a very standstill. And so the fact that they didn't introduce more characters or they they did but they didn't show them in depth in any way it just kind of made me like the book less because I love character development and I didn't really see too much of that and I don't know I just what do you think I have a whole page of notes about this (laughs) but I'll start with just three words run on sentence I could not handle this My God, writing style. I'm so glad you said that because I've seen this type of writing style before. And when I've noticed it in the past, it's done so well to the point where I hardly noticed it. But with this book, it was like one of the first things I noticed. And it was confusing. I feel I felt myself rereading sentences because I didn't really understand the way of what he was trying to say. Yeah, I agree. I, and, you know, like author stylistic choices should enhance the reader's experience, not get in the way of it. And I felt like maybe he chose this kind of writing style to create a certain kind of mood. Like you were saying, like you feel a little unsettled, but it didn't translate to me feeling unsettled with the story. I was just felt like I was tripping on every word. And like, you know, when you read, I don't necessarily sound out words in my head, but there is still a rhythm and a cadence to it. And with the constant commas, it's not just that the sentences were long. There were so many commas. It was like three words, comma, three words, comma. And I just felt like I was running out of breath mm-hmm. reading it. And I I don't know. I think by the end of the book, I got used to it. I didn't necessarily like it. But I just, I really hated, there were just, I have highlights of multiple sentences, because each paragraph is a sentence, and I just have notes that say, like, this sentence pisses me off, like, (laughs) just use periods. You said that you've read his work before. Was his writing style in the book that you've read similar to this? No, it was very different, and I don't remember the details. I know his writing style was simple not in a bad way but in the way that people describe Hemingway um it it was was very clean that was what I remember about the reluctant fundamentalist and kind of direct 
Um, but it was not like this from what I can recall. And I was surprised the way he wrote this book. And going back to what you said earlier about how it started out with an interesting premise, but then it didn't really go anywhere. I felt like it maybe should have been a short story or an essay because I feel like those media are better suited to concepts. And I think he was trying to bring about a concept, whereas with the novel, I expect and I think most readers expect either plot or character development or hopefully both, um, which I didn't really feel like I got from this. There, there is a, a right and a wrong way to do like vagueness and ambiguity. I think like a lot of writers like to be vague about certain things to give the, the readers like creative freedom. But this like just based off the premise of the book, it's so it's such an interesting and complex concept that leaving it to be so ambiguous to the readers just kind of defeats the point. It's like, why bring up this complex situation of like an entire town not being white anymore without like an explanation or a reason or an ending, really? Yeah, it just felt like it didn't hit the mark. You know, I did listen when I was preparing for this episode. I listened to an interview that Mohsen Hamid gave and I felt like it helped me understand a little bit more what he was trying to do. Um, He, in writing this book, he was trying to explore the idea of race, not necessarily not existing, but us not seeing it this way. And how, you know, race is, obviously, you talk about race being a social construct, and it's a fairly new one in the history of civilization and, and the human species. But he left a lot of things ambiguous on purpose so that the reader can come to their own conclusions and then have to deal with their own emotions to the conclusions that they kind of made. And he talked about how a book is so much more a dialogue between the author and the reader. And there's a lot of imagination that the reader engages in that we don't use in other kind of parts of our lives. So that helped me see it a little bit better it didn't really help me like the book more, <laughs> but I, I do appreciate a little more what he was trying to do with it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the way he wrote the book was intentional based off what you said, but I just wanted more. I mean, we just read Passing, which is also a very short book, but we talked about how like impactful and powerful it was. And I feel like the number of pages shouldn't restrict your feelings towards a book. And I just, he should have made the plot more impactful or he should have just written a longer book. Yeah, I agree. I think there was, it was simultaneously too ambiguous, but also too direct. Like some of the things he was saying about race and, you know, people's reactions to it just felt too on the nose where I felt like there was no subtlety, there was nothing between the lines. And I kind of feel like, you you know, actually at the beginning of the book, which I wanted to talk about, the way it starts, it seems like it's been inspired by Metamorphosis by Kafka, which I totally missed the first time I, when I read it, I just was looking at reviews and kind of saw that connection. I was like, oh, duh. Um, But the thing about Metamorphosis is that it very specifically or not specifically, but the way that he writes it calls out kind of the randomness and absurdity of life. And that's one of the themes in the book, which I wish 
in this book, The Last White Man, he had gone full on satire and like made it farcical. And I think that would have hit the mark better. Whereas this is a little too realistic and it comes out seeming almost like a fable. I don't know what the moral of the fable is because it only has themes that we've already heard before. And I, I don't know if I necessarily see a unique angle in the book. I think the other thing is I feel like the last white man being the title of the book was kind of clickbait because yes it, it was really misleading because the feel whole like, time I was reading I was like who's the last white man like what's it gonna mean and it's really nothing it's not the protagonist it's his dad and it's just an accident that it is that way it's not that he did anything or that he's going to do something when they when authors do the thing where they put the title of their book as a sentence in the book that moment where you read that sentence is like oh that makes sense like that's why this book is titled this and for me it was like the exact yeah. opposite I was like that's why the book is titled this I just, I just was kind of disappointed yeah I guess there are some things that are part of the story that I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. kind of relating to that was I didn't really understand and I guess maybe has to do with his concept of like a post-racial world, if you use it that way. But I didn't really understand. It felt very extreme at some parts. I didn't really understand how the attitude towards these people was developing because were there black people or people of color before this started happening? Because at some point in the book, it says that they're being chased out of town and they're searching for a cure. And I was just confused because then, like, what kind of world is this taking place in? Is this segregation world, post-MLK? Are we in, like, an alternate universe? Is this a dystopian novel or science fiction? I, for me, I got dystopian vibes. But I think the, maybe I misunderstood it, but I think the janitor in the place that Anders works at, I think he was, quote-unquote, dark, because they don't actually use the word like black and or give her give any certain yeah. race to anybody in the book but I understood it as the janitor being the only one who is who they, they described was dark before this weird thing happened to the town and I also think the violence was very viscerally described but it didn't it didn't make sense to me it was like that point of time during the COVID pandemic, where nobody really knew what COVID was exactly. Everybody was scared. Everybody was quarantined. Like supermarkets didn't have any food for anybody. And there was like the whole BLM movement that was happening. And there was like rioting everywhere. And there was like gun violence. And people, that's the kind of vibe I got from the book. Like that point of time for me is how yeah. I like related to that point it of time. It reminded me book. of COVID too. Yeah. And at this point, coming out a little bit out of the pandemic like we are now, we have a little bit more understanding of like what COVID is and like how we don't have as much fear because we have more understanding of the disease. But they don't come to that conclusion at the end of the book. The end of the book ends with um, Anders and Una having a daughter. Like at the end of the book, I think she's a teenager. And I wish they had like a little bit more of a conclusionary aspect to that because they don't really conclude like this is what happened and this is how we feel about what happened Mm -hmm. yeah 
I don't know, though, how the book was written any other way he could have ended it. It, the other thing, speaking of that janitor, there was one part in the book that just kind of took me out of the story and irritated me. It was towards the second half. I think Anders randomly takes an interest in this guy, the janitor. Um, maybe it's not random. Maybe it's because now they have the same skin tone. But he asks him, like he takes pity on him or something, and he asks him if he would want like free training lessons or something. And then the janitor just laughs and says, no, I want to raise. <laughs> and it just felt like too woke. <laughs> you know, like you're just, I don't know. You're just like inserting some like little tidbit of like something you would see in a tweet or like, a, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. like we don't want like free pizza. We want better compensation. Like, I don't know. It didn't fit to me with the book and it just felt like a another clickbait type thing yeah I think the best way I can describe the book was when you wake up in the morning and you remember a dream but you don't remember the details of the dream but you remember like the main characters and like the basic premise of what happened in the dream that's this book this is like a very pc dream-like reality mm-hmm. yeah going back to the theme that I picked I I wanted to talk about some parts of it because I will say that even though I didn't like the style I think there were some things that came up that kind of made me think about fear and the way it's portrayed I mean we talked about how it seems like COVID to us and this feeling of apocalypse and panic buying and rioting but the thing that stood out to me was Una's mother she kind of is portrayed as this white supremacist type character and the way the book describes her anxieties and her worry, it made me kind of understand for the first time where a lot of maybe like the far right and Trump supporters are coming from. Because it seemed like when in the book it was being broadcast on the news or the government was doing something about it, she becomes less anxious because she feels like this fear that she had is being noticed by other people and resonated. Yeah. yeah. And not only is it being validated, but someone is taking external charge of that. And that relieves fear. You know, it's like when you're stressed about something and you or go home and you're with your mom and your mom takes, and it's like, okay, like your like my mom's going to take care of it. And then that relieves a lot of the anxiety. And I felt like I could kind of see how these anxieties and fears that people have that are, many times irrational how it can lead to that kind of thinking and belief in those kinds of people who speak and act a certain way that can be Mm -hmm. hateful towards other groups yeah that's a great point because at some point in the book people lose power electricity and like internet connection and obviously Una's mother no longer has access to that comfort that she's used to having And that in itself kind of forces everyone to make peace with the new their new reality because there's no longer someone there that's like, this is wrong and this is insane and this is crazy. Like on the news, it's just silence because they have nobody but each other. And eventually the town kind of goes back to their new normal and they start living Maybe not like they used to, but not in panic and fear anymore. Yeah, which seems also unrealistic. 
you know, like just the way we're talking about how it seems unrealistic with the actions that were happening and the hate and like the search for a cure. It also seems unrealistic the way it ends so happily. Like we go from the dystopia to a utopia and neither of those is really compatible with reality. Yeah. And it's, they don't even describe that transition very well. It's like literally one night Anders is like scared of biking to Una's place at night because he doesn't want to get shot or run out of the city or whatever reason. And then the next time he goes out, he sees that people are smiling at him and he's like, Oh, this is normal now. Like, yeah. Again, random. I mean, maybe in reality, that's how it would happen. I don't know, but I don't know. The whole book was like a little bit unsettling. Like I said before, like that's. But not, I don't know, not like for the reasons that the author wants it to be unsettling. Yeah, not like a horror movie unsettling where it's supposed to be unsettling. I I, I just constantly wanted more, I think. I Mm -hmm. I just needed more information. I needed more nuance. Yeah. Like words were just on the page and I was like, okay, and. (laughs) And like, I just, I don't know. I feel like I could go on a lot about. Yeah, I feel like I'm saying a lot of bad things, like that I was really unhappy with the book, which isn't true. I was unhappy with the book, but I I could see a lot of people also enjoying it. I think. Yeah. Not to, what is the saying? Yuck anybody's yum. What? (laughs) Isn't that a saying? No. I don't want to yuck your yum. Ew. That sounds really weird. I've never heard that before in my life. Um, Please don't say it again. Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of people listening might have actually enjoyed the book. And here we yeah. are. Here I am like, I didn't like this. And I wanted this. And yeah. I wanted that. Um, I think it was. I well, could No, see- there were some interesting parts of it. And like I was saying how I was thinking about fear while I was reading it. And then when I was doing some reading after I finished the book, I learned about the great replacement theory. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. It's um one of the theories of, like, the far right. It's a kind of a conspiracy theory that eventually all the white people or European descent will be replaced, quote-unquote, by uh, people of color. And I don't care. Like, I don't see that point of view. But it's clearly something that has taken hold of a lot of the world. Like, we see this shift in this kind of far right thinking in so many countries, like the UK with Brexit. Um India, South Asia, the U.S., a lot of the world. And I feel like, to me, it seems so out there. But I was also trying to think, like, I'm the minority here. So Mm -hmm. I was trying to put it in comparison to India, where I'm relatively, you know, in India, I think it's not so much race, it's more religion and class. And I was like, okay, what if... India was replaced by a Muslim majority, would I care? It's like, no, I wouldn't care. But then there's also, like, I don't know, like, for example, like, I love celebrating Diwali in India and, like, holidays, and it's just very festive and fun. And I was like, well, what if it's not as fun (laughs) if it's no longer the majority? And, like, it's silly, but, like, there's a lot of, like, little things that probably can get blown out of proportion. And in that way make fear the dominant driving force for these kinds of theories or or groups mm-hmm. that then generate like hateful behaviors towards others. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know if we should include this or not. But when I was preparing for this podcast, I was just like looking up online of like people's general thoughts of the book. And I actually saw a lot of hate towards this book, a lot of pretty accusatory verbiage of people calling this book like anti-white and like super Mm -hmm. racist and like a lot of me assuming white people being actually quite offended by the concept of this book and a lot of people were saying that we're not going anywhere like we as white community like we're here to stay actually a little bit surprised that I saw that kind of reaction to the book because I don't they they do use the word white and whiteness pretty frequently, but they maybe the author's choice of using the word white seemed tar- like he was targeting white people in some way. Yeah, he talks about it in his interview, too, that a lot of people have called this book racist or discriminatory. And he talks about how all of his other books have characters of color. But in this book, he only has so-called white characters who identify with their whiteness. And he talks about how he chose deliberately not to focus on people, a person of color, because he didn't want readers to draw that comparison and then side with the person of color and have that be he wanted to kind of like inhabit the one person. So I don't I guess I can see how people might take it that way. I don't think it was his intention. I think he was trying to explore a very like conceptual thing that fit in a dystopian type type of book that used a concept that exists in the real world that is very emotionally charged for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that was his intention with the book, but I can see why people maybe didn't like that about it. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have anything else? Oh, the only thing I wanted to say was the cover art with the eye and the man in it. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about cover art before, but it reminded me of 1984 by George Orwell. And I don't know, like, there is a lot of, like, social media and government that's mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if there's a connection there that was they were trying to draw. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like this book is very, like, heavily reference, references very historical books in the past, so I, I could see that being a thing, but honestly, I didn't notice it. Yeah. Yeah, this was a short episode. I guess it was because it was a short bit, short book. Well, and because we didn't like it, so there's, like, <laughs> not that much I feel, to I feel explore. bad that I didn't like it. Well, it, I dislike it less after, you know what I will say is, like, doing this podcast and like reflecting on the books more I I actually do have a book log and whenever I finish a book I like write a little like whatever my thoughts are but this is kind of one step more where I have to like organize my notes and come up with like themes and things and doing this for each book I think makes me appreciate each book more than I would otherwise like even with the namesake when we started talking about it compared to when we ended it I like felt more positive about it if we weren't doing this podcast, I don't think I would have put in the effort to like look at like because I watched a bunch of his yeah. like interviews on YouTube and got like a new perspective of what he was trying to convey by writing this book. And I don't think that's something I would have done 
if it was just me reading this book, I would have just been like, this was a shit book. Don't read it. And that's yeah. it. But, but like, because we're talking about it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I see that. Yeah, I understand. Like, yeah. that's nice. So it's kind of making me, like, forcing me to appreciate it. Um, I don't know that I would have finished this book if we weren't doing it for the podcast. I was, like, so, so irritated at his sentences. Mm-hmm. Me too. And it, it sucks because the way that it was written, when there's a lull in a book, I kind of get into a maybe bad habit where I start to skim a little bit and I don't fully like absorb every word on the page. But I couldn't do that with this book because one sentence is three pages. So and like you said, there's commas between three or four words. So I don't know. I feel like I should yeah. pick a passage. Okay. For context, Anders just asked Una if she was afraid of dying. And this is all one sentence. She said her father had gone without warning. It had been preposterous. No other word for it. Here he was, and then he was gone. And it made her think that there was a trapdoor under each of us. A trapdoor that could open at any second, like we were walking on a bridge of ropes and planks. Swaying high above a canyon, and some of the planks were rotten, and you could take a normal step but find that you had stepped into nothingness without even hearing the snap. That realization should have caused you to be more careful, to step lightly, but it had not done that to her brother. He had stomped on the planks, harder and harder, as though he was fine with breaking them, as though part of him wanted to go, maybe like Andrew's mother had wanted to go, but without the pain, or no, not without the pain, but without that kind of pain, without cancer, just with heartbreak, since the universe had let him down and it had shown him it was not the kind of universe he would love. It was a universe that had betrayed us, all of us. And so he had decided to leave or not decided. It was not a decision. It was a direction and shift in his direction. And she had seen it early on and she had tried not to see it, tried also to do what she could to bring him back. But he was off and there was no stopping him. And eventually he did what he did and left when he left early because we were all leaving and he knew that more clearly than other people did and he was not heartless enough to see the point in trying to stay that was all one sentence (laughs) i want to tear my hair out like what is even happening in that sentence i can't follow a train of thought i don't know what he's talking about like oh my god that's what i'm saying is like if you had skimmed past like even four or five words in that in that passage like you, you would be lost because every, every between each comma, he changes direction in what he is saying. He's like, maybe this is this or maybe it's not or maybe this is. And so when you skim past it, like you're missing all of that. And yeah, I don't know. It was. But it it's was not really like you're hard. missing anything of substance either, yeah. because there is a purpose to the structure of a sentence. Right, a sentence conveys an idea, just like a paragraph conveys an idea, but a sentence is in a much shorter form, and he's not using it that way. He's just like going like willy nilly, just putting words in and throwing commas. Like he doesn't use other punctuation either. It's not like we get dashes or semicolons, which would feel it's not a period, but it's better than a comma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, let's. I feel well, like okay. Can I give you a short? passage because I highlighted it because I'll tell you why let me read it first okay the mosquitoes were gone and the dragonflies too the air above the stream seethed of its swarms of insects seethed by fall and high overhead birds were winging their way to warmer climes and it was the kind of day when the planet could be felt making its journey tilted and spinning as it went 
never still, unstoppable calling afternoons forth for mornings. And I highlighted that because it just made me think, like, he is clearly a good writer. Mm-hmm. Like, like, he could be a very good writer. He's just masking it in all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. They try yeah, to, like, write a particular way. It, I feel like this whole episode has just been us talking about his writing style. And that just but goes to show... But there's something else to talk about. Yeah, it just goes to show, like, how much that took us out of the actual story. It just kind of, it bothered us. Maybe not bothered, but just distracted us from what was actually happening in the book so anyway since we clearly aren't feeling this book should we move on to filter the chai yeah i feel like we filtered it quite a bit already but (laughs) anyways we can start what was your overall rating i feel like i have to give this a two that's what i gave it to oh no It's, I feel bad, but it's true. I, I just couldn't get past how much I was annoyed by everything. Yeah, me too. So do you think this book will stand the test of time? No. Absolutely not. I don't think there's anything no, about this book. No, not at all. That... And it's not just the writing style. It's just, like, there's nothing new said in there. There's nothing that, like, a million other books haven't talked about. yeah. It's not impactful in any way, no. I, I would say. Like, it's not, I don't know. There's, it's, it's very lacking. That's a good word. It is very lacking. Yeah. Well, do you have any books that reminded you of this book that's better for our shelf discovery segment? I guess I kind of already mentioned the books that I would recommend. The books I have to recommend are just better versions of this. Mm-hmm. We talked about Metamorphosis by Kafka. I really liked The Reluctant Fundamentalist. So I think for someone, it, he talks a lot how his experiences and his view of race and discrimination was changed by the 9-11 attacks. And if you're interested in that kind of perspective and the ideas that he talks about, then I think The Reluctant Fundamentalist is just a much better job of getting that across and is much more impactful. Yeah. I also saw, I have not read it, but I saw a lot of great reviews of his book called Exit West, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was having such a hard time trying to do a shelf discovery book because I did not like this book and I couldn't really think of anything that was like a similar plot or the remind, this book didn't remind me of anything that I've read before So my recommendation is a book that I think does the whole like lyrical flowery run on sentences the right way, in my opinion. And that's The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. Um, It's Mm. like one of my favorite books, I think. I love her writing style. Yeah, I never read that book. I know it was very popular at one time and it was... It was on my to-be-read pile, but it never made it to actually yeah. being read, it's, so maybe I'll so have good. to go back to it. I don't know if you'll, if you'll like it, because it's like kind of like like magic. and. I like magic. Okay, then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Well, what are we reading for the next episode? For the next episode, we are reading Crying in H-Mart by Michelle Zahner. She, it's kind of, I think, a memoir, actually. And she is a Korean-American author 
who writes about growing up and losing her mother. And so we'll have to keep a box of tissues handy from what <laughs> I have heard about this book. I'm actually really excited to read this book because I've been seeing it everywhere lately and I'm excited. Yeah. Hopefully we have more to talk about than how much we hate the writing style. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Novelty. We are your hosts, Neha and Triti, and our music is created by Apurva Koti. We love to hear from you, so send us book recommendations, episode commentary, or even critical feedback. You can find us on Instagram at thenovelty.pod or email us at thenovelty.pod at gmail.com. Until next time, happy reading.